Good morning, and a warm welcome to you all this morning to Ladywell Baptist Church and our service of worship at the beginning of this new week. It's great to be together and to worship God, and as we come before God this morning, we do so in light of these words that we hear in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's encouraging to hear those words and to recognize that our worship together this morning comes because of the work of God, the free gift of grace, and the fruit of that gift is life, is a knowledge of God, a desire to worship him, the ability to praise him, and the knowledge of knowing that when we do, he is pleased to receive our worship, our thanksgiving, He's pleased to hear us coming before him and asking for the things that we need at the beginning of this week for the current uh, seven days ahead of us. And he also is overjoyed that we come and humble ourselves before his word and worship him by receiving God's word and then going and living it out over this coming seven days. So we come together to worship God in light of his grace to us this morning. Reading this morning is Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. And God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abram took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on their shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God came to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies here. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. 
for I'll make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Amen. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we come before you this morning confessing that you are holy, holy, holy. You are the Lord Almighty. Lord, there is none that compare to you. Lord, you create this universe. You sustain it moment by moment. And Lord, it astonishes us that you are able to do so. And yet it astonishes us even more that a God who is able to do all of that bothers himself with the lives of a people he created and yet who have rejected him. Lord, we thank you that you've sent your Son to be our perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this morning that you would bless us with a knowledge of his presence, with a knowledge of our need of salvation. Lord, that you would bless us by having us cast ourselves upon Christ and having him raise us up to new life as we've already read from your word in Romans chapter 6. Lord, help us to receive that gift of grace, of everlasting life. And Lord, may we be better equipped to praise you and to serve you in light of it this coming week. Lord God, we pray for our fellowship here in Ladywell and ask that you would be with each one of us as we seek to bless one another. Lord, to phone each other and to build each other up, to drop an email, a text, a letter, whatever it may be. Lord, that we might encourage each other while the going is difficult during lockdown. Lord God, we pray as well for the families of all of our members who, like us, are experiencing isolation. Lord, may they know your presence. May we share encouragement with them that Christ goes with us through this time. May we share the gospel and bring them hope. And Lord God, we ask that you would enable us to do this, not just within the confines of our church community, but within Ladywell and Livingston itself. May we bring hope and joy to this community as we share the hope of the gospel, the transformation of Christ. May we enable others to see the fruit of their lives as they currently lead it is simply death and destruction, is misery and more sin, and yet the fruit of life in Christ is joy and salvation and everlasting life. May we bring hope to this community through the gospel of Jesus. Lord God, we pray as well for our wider world and ask that you might bless our government at this time. Lord, be with Boris Johnson. Lord, be with uh, the government in Westminster. May you give them wisdom and courage as they seek to lead us through this time, as they seek to address not just coronavirus and its implications, but Brexit and our exit from the European Union, as they seek to address all of the tension that is rising uh, over events in America uh, and the the, um, arrest and the killing uh, of that man by police officers uh, in that place. Lord God, there is so much for our government to address all at the same time. And so we pray that you would give them wisdom, strength and courage to do so well. Lord, be with the government in Scotland. And uh, we pray, Lord, for the SNP government there and for Nicola Sturgeon and ask that you would give them strength and wisdom. Lord, that we would at this time be able to lay aside partisan politics 
and would be able uh, to properly go through this time caring for our fellow citizens, regardless of whether uh, we are on the right or the left, whether we vote SNP or Labour or Conservative. Lord God, we ask as well uh, for our wider world as they address this problem of coronavirus on top of all of the financial difficulties we face and on top of uh, war and conflict and the dealing with a great many other problems that each government must address day by day. Lord, may clarity of vision and thought be given. And Father, we pray that as our governments address these problems, that they will do so in a way that honors you. Heavenly Father, we pray as well that you will move and work in this world, that you will condemn and judge sin, that you will address it, that you will also bring the hope of salvation through Jesus. And Lord, in our part in all of that, as we seek to make your kingdom grow, we ask that you would build up our church and send us out to proclaim good news has come for a people who know no hope, save that found in Jesus. Lord God, we commit all of these things to you, knowing they are too big for us to address in our own power and strength, but knowing that you are able. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would move powerfully in our lives, in our church, and in our world, that you would bring reconciliation, peace, and hope to our world. And we ask that you would bring it all in the perfect, in the holy name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. As we continue on through lockdown and uh, look to the future, wondering when we'll move through these phases that have been put forward by the Scottish Government for us moving out of complete isolation into more normal life right through to society as we remember it being before the lockdown happened, there is a constant question being asked, and that is how will the future unfold? We don't know. It, it always seems to come down to going one of two ways. Will things go well and will the lockdown be eased and then finished? Or will things go back the way that they were before? All our progress will seem to be undone and lockdown will have to begin all over again as a second wave comes. Part of the reason uh, that we think this way is that's the way often pandemics go. They either come to an end and, and are finished or, as is more often the case, we find a second wave begins and how we address that second wave uh, will in almost certainty be to lock down again and to move back the way that we've come instead of progress forward. There always does seem to be two ways before us. It doesn't have to be lockdown. It can be any area of life, can't it? There are two paths before us and we have to decide which way they're going to go. We don't know which one will work out, how things will be, and yet there's an expectation that the future will, will split and we will go down one of two possible routes. This is very much the case in Abraham's life. He's beginning to see the plans and the promises of God worked out and yet he struggles the way we all do with this problem. He has a life to live and there are constantly two paths that he has to choose to walk down, two futures he can see. And he has to live his life as best he can, trusting that God will work out his plans and his purposes in the world. But he often doesn't know which way to go, which will be the right option, which one will work and which one won't. And the same is true for us today. We have a challenge 
very often as Christian people, each and every day as to how we will live. And the first of those two ways is that we can live life in the strength of the Lord. Now, immediately I say that and you think, well, that must be the right way. Whatever else is to come clearly can't be the right way if the first option is to live in God's strength because we're told again and again that we're supposed to live in the strength of God in Scripture. And we'll, uh, we'll address that as we, as we work through the passage. But in chapter 20 and 21 of Genesis, we find Abraham coming to one of these splits in the way And it helps us to understand how we are to live our lives as we look at him. And so in chapter 20, uh, in verses 1 to 7, we see uh, yet another point of God's fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. Impossible promises. God has promised a son born to Abraham and Sarah, and that strictly can't happen. They're both rapidly approaching 100 years old. And even in the ancient world... Uh, there was no real possibility of a couple at the age of a 100 being able to produce their own son. And not only has God told them that they will have a son, that this son will be uh, the, the means by which God will bless their entire family, not just their family, their nation, not just their nation, but the nations of all the world through this biological son that simply cannot come. And in this, we see what life is like when we live in the strength that God gives us through his spirit. At the opening of the passage, we read, The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his own son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And you can't have a a more wonderful end to this part of the story, can you? That a couple who've waited so long, who have almost certainly broken their hearts over their inability to have children, not just for themselves, but because of all the promises of God resting upon this future event that in their minds could never come, have finally had the child that they so desperately longed for. They'd given up all hope against impossible odds, and yet here was the son. And to emphasize clearly that there was no way that you should understand this son came from anywhere else, Moses repeats these words again and again that he, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of this son whom Sarah bore him. He just uses the language again and again and again to repeat that Abraham and Sarah had a son, but the son was clearly the miraculous blessing of the Lord at precisely the time that God had appointed for this son to arrive. Now, they will inherit not just family, but also all the promises of God that he had made to them. It's, it's the path clearly that they are to to walk down into the future. And we should see first that Isaac's life came as a result of trusting in the Lord, even when his timing wasn't what you would expect at first. Abraham and Sarah are old 
we're told. And I know that this must have been a real surprise to them, even though God had told them because of their advanced years. I don't know how you would feel having a son at the age of 90 or 100. I can't imagine that it would necessarily fill you with joy um, at that age to to realize that this was even a possibility. Um, But the promise of God's the purpose, sorry, of God's waiting for so long was to ensure that nobody else would be credited with the birth of Isaac. It wasn't just one of these situations where a couple in advancing years um, just happened to to have a child, almost a, a freak of nature, as it were. There is no possible way that this could have happened other than the miraculous work of God. This is the way God works. Because it is God who is working in us, in our lives each and every day. And this applies to salvation as much as it does to the birth of Isaac. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told you have been saved by grace through faith and not that of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What's the work of God in your life? It's first that you turn to him and cry out for salvation from sin and death. And secondly, that you grow the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't make yourself saved. You can't transform your own life. You can't make yourself become more faithful or gentle or kind. Only God can do that work, can work that into your life. However, you're expected to live out these attributes. And and you can't just say that God hasn't given me patience yet, and so it's okay if I'm not patient, or God hasn't made me more loving, and so that's why I'm, I'm not very loving. God makes us more patient and then provides us with an opportunity to be patient. God makes us more loving and provides us with the opportunity to express our love. God saves us and gives us the opportunity to work out our salvation, to live in light of it, to worship him and serve him and share the good news of our salvation with the world. They might also be saved. We don't simply sit and wait for God to do it. God transforms us and then we go and work it out. We live in light of what God does in and through us. We trust in his strength, but we exercise that in our own lives. And secondly, we see through Isaac's birth the importance of our commitment to God. Abraham and Sarah have waited a long time for the birth of this boy. And the temptation will always be to rush off and get on with bringing him up and teaching him and ensuring that he has everything he needs. But let's face it, they're a hundred years old. They're not going to be around for anything like as much of his life as they would like to be. They won't have that opportunity. But we see Abraham takes him and circumcises him on the eighth day. He fully intends to have Isaac's life revolve around God because that is the most important thing. Isaac isn't going to have an easy life. We're going to go on and see that as we go through Genesis. And Abraham cannot do a thing to fix that. Isaac will have many of the struggles that Abraham has had. Isaac will 
commit many of the same sins, will fall into many of the same problems that Abraham has already done. And Abraham can't do anything about that either. But what he can do is ensure that Isaac knows God and knows his ways so that in time he will have the faith that Abraham himself possesses. And this is what we see at the coming of Christ, isn't it? We don't get an easy time in life. Things aren't straightened out. However much your parents may have wanted to given you to have given you a better life, for all that you may have wanted to give your children or family members a better life than you had, there is a limit to what you can do. You can't make people's lives better. You can't make them follow a certain path. They have to live their lives. And life is hard. And many of the struggles you have had, your children will have. Many of the struggles your parents had in their lives, you have experienced in your life because nothing changes under the sun. The world is the same day in, day out. And yet what matters most is that we have Christ at the center of our lives, that we rely upon him for our salvation and for our equipping, for our strengthening so that we are able to face life and then go and live it with passion and enthusiasm for God and his glory, living out, working out God's word, his instruction for us, knowing that we will be better able to live life in light of that than without it. We find that living life in the strength of the Lord is the path that we ought to walk in. Christ gives us a living relationship with God so that every day we're able to walk in the strength that we draw from him. A life that's marked by a growth in righteousness and uh, the fruit of the Spirit that will help us see life in the right way and respond to life in a way that honors God. And we also see um, that Isaac's birth brings the joy of life with God that we also experience in Christ. There is very much a parallel drawn in Scripture between the, the, the life of Isaac, the giving of Isaac as this child who comes through a miraculous birth and, as we'll go to see, is um, asked to be sacrificed by his father as part of, of God's desire that he should be honored and glorified. And we find that the same is pictured in Christ. He comes as a result of a miraculous birth and is sacrificed by a loving father so that God's plans and purposes, his glory, would be made manifest in the world. Now, Isaac isn't sacrificed in the end, as we know the story goes, and Jesus is. And yet we find that as Isaac's birth brings laughter, that Sarah talks about again and again, that everyone will see and laugh with me, that I've been able to have a child in my old age, as Abraham laughed, that God would ever make him a father in his old age. So we find that joy comes through our knowing Christ. We were dead, but are now alive. We were lost, but have now been found. Our lives that were marked by a desire to fill them with something, with anything that would have it make sense, have it be fulfilled and satisfied, is now given direction and focus and is fulfilled by God himself who made us and who knows us best. And it brings joy to each one of us. And the Christian life ought to be one marked by joy as we live in the strength of the Lord. Now that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because as we live each day, even depending upon the Lord, life is difficult and yet our joy is not diminished for we still know the Lord even as we go through those difficulties. 
And as we trust in his strength, we are constantly being equipped to rely more and more upon him in the midst of difficulty and in times that are good and plentiful and joy-filled. So we are always able to know the joy of life with God because of the coming of Christ to each one of us who believe. Life lived in God's strength will be hard and it will push us to our limits in many ways that we don't even understand as yet. And we won't understand why God is doing things the way he's doing them, why he's allowing us to go down this path in life. But life lived relying on God's strength, trusting that God knows what he's doing, trusting that he will lead us through at the right time, in the right way, will result in a life of joy even though circumstances are hard. The process might be tough, but the reward will be amazing. And as we experience the joy of knowing God in our daily lives, it motivates us to go on living and trusting and committing ourselves to him. This is one path that we might walk down each and every day. The second path is that we might want to live life in our own strength. And we read that through um, verse 8 through to 21 and um, of chapter 21 of Genesis. As soon as I say that we might want to live our lives in our own strength, in contrast to um, pathway number one, we might immediately say, well, I know that that's the wrong option. I I shouldn't live life in my own strength for all the reasons that we've already seen in the first section of chapter 21, that we ought to live our lives in this way that that trusts in God. But here's the problem. We invariably don't. We invariably come, see the options before us and choose to live in our own strength. And when we say it like that, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? It seems crazy that we would ever do that. And yet it's what we do all the time. So we're going to look at why we do this and why this is a bad option for us. And yet why we constantly choose it. In Genesis 21 verses 8 and following we hear, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, was laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Life lived in our own strength is life that is marked by a trust in our own wisdom. And this is one of the reasons why we so often choose to go down that path, despite the fact it is always the wrong path to choose rather than to rest upon the strength of God. The difficulty comes that it seems to make perfect sense to us to go down this particular route, to perform this action, to speak in that way, to address that issue, whatever it may happen to be. It makes perfect sense to Abraham and Sarah to have a child with Hagar and then to adopt Ishmael into the family. But this is not what God told them to do. God asked them to trust in him that he will deliver a child 
to them. And look at what trusting solely in their own strength does. It results in distress to Sarah. She becomes paranoid that Ishmael will take the place of Isaac. So she demands they be cast out. It causes distress to Abraham, who doesn't want to cast his own son out of his family. It causes distress to Hagar, who worries for their future life, their existence, and being cast out of the family into the wilderness. How will they survive? And it almost certainly causes distress for Ishmael. Here is a young boy who's being dismissed from his family by his own father. Tremendous hurt and damage has been caused as a result of trying to rush things. And it's resulted in this half-baked family and cracks are showing all over the place now because no one was ready for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Ishmael's 14. He's lived in relative affluence all his life. And now he's been cast out into the wilderness. And interestingly, even though this happens, we find God still making provision for him. We often go through a process involving hardship or distress so that we can learn how to process that, how to deal with it. And that seems to be what God is doing. God has taken him from a place of comfort and put him into a place of distress. And there is an expectation that it will shape his life. It will mold him into the man he will one day become. Someone who is able to provide and care for a family, to raise not just a family, but a nation. God blesses Ishmael because he's a son of Abraham. And yet, even though God blesses him through this time of hardship and difficulty, even though God raises up a nation through this child of Abraham's, we see that it only ultimately causes more hurt and damage for God's people. As Israel today traces its lineage back to Abraham through Isaac, So the Islamic world traces its lineage back to Abraham through Ishmael. And so we find right the way down through millennia, great division and damage and hurt has been created simply because Abraham and Sarah wouldn't trust in the strength of God. And the reason was that it didn't make any sense to them. It made far more sense to do things the way they felt it ought to be done, the way Other people all around them did it. And this is exactly the same struggle that we have today. It's consistently why we choose to walk sinfully rather than walking in the righteous way that God has called us to, relying on his strength, because everyone else around us lives that way. It seems to work. It seems to make sense. It seems to bear fruit in their life. But as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, what fruit does that ultimately bring? Nothing but death and destruction. It looks good here and now, but it only leads to destruction. Instead, we trust upon God and his way, and it appears to make no sense. If you were going to save a group of people for yourself, that they would live with you and bless you and honor you and you can encourage them, would you send your only child into their midst to die to pay for the things that they had done wrong? And through that death, then adopt them into your family. As far as the world is concerned, this makes no sense. Paul says this, doesn't he, when he talks about the way the world sees Jesus, that 
that Greeks are constantly seeking wisdom. Jews are constantly looking for a sign. But we have in Christ Jesus a stumbling block to the Greeks. We have foolishness to them, a stumbling block to the world. It's crazy. And yet this is the means by which God has brought about the salvation of the world. This is the means by which God has brought about your salvation. Not through your own effort. Not through your earning favor with God, undoing the bad things or doing enough good things to outweigh all of the bad things because it never works. This is the wisdom of the world. And yet God's plan to send a savior for you, to send God himself, his only son, to save you seems like foolishness to the world, but it's actually wisdom. It's the only way you can be saved by having someone coming and interceding on your behalf taking away your sin, removing your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh, renewing you and taking up residence in your heart, in your life. And so we find that it is not in relying on our own wisdom that salvation comes, that blessing comes, that Christian maturity comes. It's relying upon God. And yet it seems foolishness to us even now. So we will constantly be coming back to the ways of the world. The remedy to this is by constantly reminding ourselves of the promises of God, both past promise and past fulfillment, but also promises that are still ongoing that will one day be fulfilled. Reminding ourselves of what God has said in his word, talking about the things that we have seen in our own lives where God has been faithful despite all of our expectations. And so in this way, we're built up and encouraged. We come before the Lord regularly, routinely in prayer, asking that he would bless us with wisdom to see his ways and for all that it might be hard to walk in them. And so ultimately we find that we begin to trust more and more in the strength of the Lord as we grow in maturity and see that there is actually wisdom to walk in that way. And it's foolishness to walk in the way of the world although to begin with, it may seem like the best course of action. We are given two paths in life. We're expected to walk one of two ways. It seems to us to make perfect sense to walk in the strength of the Lord or to walk in our own strength. And yet in practice, we find we tend to default to the wrong way rather than the right way. Instead, we must realign our thinking. We must come before God and ask that in his grace and mercy, he would bless us with wisdom, with maturity, and with understanding. That we might be mature and complete, James says, lacking in nothing to live this life. So we trust in the Lord. And as Proverbs says, that we lean not on our own understanding, but upon his ways. Because ultimately his ways are perfect and right. As we come to this new week, there will be many times where you're presented with two paths, two different directions to walk in. There will be many opportunities when you have to respond and in a moment decide how you will respond. Will you respond with grace or with anger? Will you respond uh, with generosity or will, will you withhold generosity? And whatever it may be, In that moment, let us constantly be asking God for wisdom to see his ways, to trust in his promises, in his provision, and not to lean on our own understanding, which is the wisdom of this world that only leads to death and destruction. 
Let us honour God in all we do, for all that it may not make a blind bit of sense to us at the time. But let us be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and faithful. Let us do all of these things in every circumstance that we might honour him who knows us better than we know ourselves, who knows the path that has been set before us and knows how and why he has called us to walk upon it. Let's trust in the Lord and lean upon his wisdom and not our own understanding. Amen. As we draw our service of worship to a close and prepare to go out into the coming week, I want you to go knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.